Monarch, Legacy of Monsters, an Apple original series. The world is on fire. I decided to do something about it. On November 17th. This place, it's not ours. Believe me. The most massive event of the year arrives. If you come with me, you'll know everything, I promise. Oh my God, go, go, go! Monarch, Legacy of Monsters. Streaming November 17th, only on Apple TV+. This episode is brought to you by Undeniably Dairy. Dairy farmers are more than farmers. They're climate caretakers. They see water as a precious resource. Most farmers recycle water up to four times, from chilling the milk to irrigating the crops. And some even use technology to turn manure into renewable energy. To learn more about what dairy farmers are doing to make their farms more sustainable, visit usdairy.com. Hey, you are listening to Oh Crap Parenting with me, your host, Jamie Gorlacki. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hello, friends. I hope you are all well. All right, so I'm going to kind of continue with last week's episode a little bit because I like to try to find a lot of different ways of saying the same thing because I know from having two books and my interactions online, sometimes you don't get the information till you need it. You know, it can be like, you hear me say it, you hear me say it, then I say it a slightly different way. And you're like, oh, maybe it's a time in your life. You just need it. And so now it's it's relevant, or maybe it's just a different way of saying it. So it was funny because I did an interview recently, an interview, and the interviewer guy said, so how much of potty training and parenting is on the parent? Is it all the kid? And I was like, it's all the parent. <laughs> and he was like, Really? Even potty training? I was like, well, at first, yes, it has to be on the parent because they're the teacher and they're in charge and they're modeling and they're helping the child make that connection. You know, you can't just tell a kid something. You have to show it. You have to repeat it. There's consistency. There's commitment. And with parenting, it's almost always the parent. So yes, some kids are very difficult. And yes, some kids need different tools. But the tools are almost reliant on us. Yes, when a child is behaving in a way that doesn't suit our family or wrecks the vibe of the family, we are so tempted to say, it's the kid. And so many people come to me, you know, I need to fix the kid, right? So the problem is, is that it's not just the kid. Most of the time, it's us. It's us. It's our boundaries. Our boundaries have been skewed. That's largely the biggest one, right? And or it's our reactions and how our reactions put fuel on a fire. And sometimes our reactions, they're good. You know, one thing that's happening really consistently in my client work is parents are just over talking, particularly in a hot moment. So I call, I call hot moments like a tantrum, a meltdown when things are escalated and parents are like, I'm trying to explain to him why what he's doing is wrong. It's like, dude, you got to surf that wave. You can't explain anything in those hot moments. That's not when the lesson comes, right? In fact, and the lesson doesn't come right after the child's calmed down. The lesson comes usually the next day or maybe when you're all decompressed at night and you're tucking the child in and you're like, hey, maybe we could have done that better, right? But it's all on us. And so I really keep encouraging you anytime you're like, this kid, 
is X, Y, and Z, think, wait a minute, could I be contributing to this? And again, some of the reasons people hire me is because they are trying their very best. They're not being explosive or highly reactive, but they're just not reacting the most effective way for the child. So I always try to avoid right and wrong in parenting. I think there's very few right and wrongs. I think it's, are you being effective? Is this working? Is this helping the situation, right? Is your child's behavior changing? Are you able to make those changes with your child? And if not, then that's what leads us to like, okay, we need to find another tool for the toolbox, right? I just think that's really important because again, I'm getting this like sweeping trend of it's the kid, fix the kid. Whenever I start with a client, I always, always, always start with the basics. How is the child's sleep? How is the child's nutrition? How is the child's connection? And how is the child's big play? Those are the four things that you can 100% have some input on. And those are the basics to keep a kid pretty happy. When I was a trainer, and even today, I see like all these like biohacks, right? Like, or these, like, what is it? Burberry for weight loss or last week we talked about collagen. Like you see all these like pills and hacks and just do this and just do that, right? When really... 90% of people would do best in a movement health perspective by giving up ultra processed foods and just moving their body a little bit. That moved the dial 90%, but everybody loves these little like cheats, right? These little hacks. But those hacks are like when you fine tune it, right? And I think the same goes for parenting. Like 90% of your trouble will be fixed if you attend to proper sleep, proper nutrition, great connection, and really big play. So let's kind of go through those really quick. So Sleep, I'm hearing all kinds of craziness with sleep. I think what's happened is parents are just exhausted and they don't have it in them at nighttime to put up a fight. But you want to make sure you are consistent with bedtimes, with wake-ups, and with what happens during the night. I've said numerous times, I don't care. I'm a huge proponent of co-sleeping. If you want to co-sleep, co-sleep. If you want to sleep in a family, you know, they have these like triple California king bed, some families and everybody sleeps in the bed, including the dogs. You want to do that? That's great. You want dad to sleep in one room, mom to sleep in another? That's great. I don't care. Whatever works for your family, but what you need to understand about sleep in children is it has to be consistent. If you do not want to co-sleep, you cannot allow your child in your bed. If you don't want your child coming into your bed at all, you can't allow it. So that's what's been happening is people like, I don't want to co-sleep, but he comes to my bed and I'm too exhausted. You've got to do something about that. You can't expect the child to just do the right thing. You have to be doing the right thing. And that is creating the consistent boundary of bringing the child back to their room. If you're co-sleeping, why would you force the kid to sleep in their room? Like we have to be consistent. Sleep is one of those things like you can work on sleep like a maniac and then the kid gets sick and you're afraid of their breathing. So you have them sleep with you for one night so you can monitor. Boom. Six months of sleep work, gone. So sleep is one of those things that like you really can't fuck around to find out because one time and it breaks all your work. And I just see that so consistently. And I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but you just need to know that that's what it's got to be consistent. And again, we talk about this all the time, earlier bedtimes, whatever that takes, even at this age, especially if you're working in the home, come home and connect and sacrifice a big family dinner, or like we talked about, have a one pot meal, have something ready to go. But ideally, I'd love toddlers eating around four o'clock. And that may mean a caregiver's giving them their most nutritious meal. And you guys are coming in as parents and connecting with the kids and maybe having a snack then. 
Oh, one last thing on sleep. Just kids are getting to bed too late. Two-year-olds going to bed at 8.30? No. And I have worked with so many people, so I know my message isn't getting through, (laughs) which is if your child takes an hour to sleep, they are not on the proper circadian rhythm. It doesn't mean they need a later sleep. It means they need an earlier sleep. This is confirmed by every sleep expert in the world. Kids are very rarely night owls, like really rare. It just doesn't make any sense. We would be asleep by the time night falls. So just know that and aim for earlier bedtimes. And again, this falls under that brutal self-care that we talked about last time. It is hard. It is hard negotiating. It is hard strategizing how to do this, especially when both parents work, come home, the kids home from daycare, everybody's cranky. So much shit has to happen in two hours or even an hour and a half, but you have to be regimented about this because when the sleep starts to go, it's not just grumpiness, picky eating, all of these behaviors, you know, mischievousness, everything kicks up, but literally you lose cognitive ability. And for kids and developing brains, this is like serious shit. And I can't believe people just really are cavalier about this. Like your child loses brain power and cognitive development, like their developing brains need that sleep. So really, 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 I can't tell you, I've been so strict and brutal about my sleep in the last, I would say eight months, and it has changed everything. It just changes my demeanor. It changes my, believe it or not, my body composition. You know, people like, whoa, what are you doing? And like, I'm not working out any different. It's like, I'm just sleeping more and everything gets rest and rejuvenated. So really, really, really get sleep in check. Again, that kind of leads into connection, right? Connection is so vital for our kids. I don't know why, but I fell into, not a rabbit hole, but you know how like when you have something on your mind and like everything points to that, like you just pick a random podcast and it's like about the thing that's on your mind. And then you see these memes on Instagram that are like the thing that's on your mind. How do I say this? The real danger of tech is becoming really well-known. Really the bottom line is loneliness. And so we're all separating ourselves by being on our phone. So check your phone use, especially when you get home from work and you only have an hour and a half with your kid. I've been a real big proponent of like, if you do do screen time, do it in these transition times that are really hard, right? So that could be a segue into another part of the evening. Yes, which is cool. But be cautious that you're not like getting the kid on the iPad to watch a couple of episodes of Bluey so you can cook dinner, you want to connect with your kid as soon as possible because you do have such limited time, right? So now, of course, if uh, one of the parents stays home with the kid, that may not be as necessary. I'd say still all the things so that the working parent comes home and connect with the kids. I think the worst thing I'm seeing happening, and I can't state it enough, and I say it about every episode, whatever the case may be, the child's not being fed until 6.30, 7 o'clock because of the work life of the parents. And then dinner's a miserable cluster, just miserable because the kid's over hungry. They probably had a snack, maybe a naked carb around four o'clock. Now their blood sugar's like dipping, but they're too tired and cranky to eat. So this whole notion of family meal is wonderful with toddlers, unless your family meal is a clusterfuck. I was just working with a family, beautiful family. And they were like, we're really strong proponents of, of the family dinner. And I was like, how's that working? And they were like, it's a disaster. And I was like, okay, then let's fix it right? So stop being entrenched in these ideas because we know family dinner is great, but it's great later when the kids are in school and and sports and all of that, and they have manners and they can sit still and they're not exhausted at 630. So use that time for connection because our kids 
are stalling bedtime. They're pushing your buttons at bedtime because they love you and they want more time with you. And that's when they fully decompress. So be cautious of that. They just need a lot of touch, roughhousing, compression, big hugs, all of that. And I've said this before, if you do use screen time, you can connect with your child with screen time. If you're sitting and watching a Bluey episode together, you're laughing together, you're talking about it. So it doesn't have to be a huge expenditure on your energy. It can be these softer moments. It can be reading a book. Big play. A lot of times, especially if there's like inclement weather, the daycare, I'm talking specifically about daycare because preschoolers tend to move their body. Although with this fucking push on academics in preschool, a lot of kids are sitting still all day. Daycare, they have their outside time, but especially if it's raining or snowing or windy or blah, 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 they may not get that outside time. So make sure you check in, even as you pick your child up. Hey, mom, how much time did they get outside today? Okay, cool. Just so I know, you got to stop at a playground. Go out if it's raining, go puddle stomping. Best time the kids will have. I just heard from a client who's like, I never thought of letting them out in the rain. And they played nicely for the first time, which is like great, right? For two kids. So I think. That's a real quick check-in with like, did they get their outside time? But also recognize that a lot of times with big play, these school settings don't necessarily allow a lot of that risk-taking, a lot of that dangerous play, a lot of climbing. Maybe your child needs to throw. If they're hitting a lot, they might need to throw things. So whatever you can do, I know this varies widely on where you live. Like I'm looking out my window. I'm like, yeah, take them down to the creek and throw rocks in the creek. I have a creek in my my seven acres. Not everybody does. People live in apartments, right? So it depends on your living situation, but you have to maybe stop at a playground, install a pull-up bar with some rings on it, get that big play in. And remember, big play, vestibular systems are stimulated, proprioception. So that means flipping, tumbling, spinning. The floor is lava, these kinds of things. Make sure your kid gets that because again, They'll start to go haywire if they're not getting it. They'll also not be as tired at night, which then means they're going to push your buttons, right? And then the last is nutrition, of course. I know all the time, it's become so rampant to expect extreme picky eating. And I'm talking about extreme picky eating with neurotypical kids, average developing, that parents aren't even trying anymore. And I feel like when somebody comes to me, particularly with an extreme behavior problem, or an extreme poop withholding problem, I always feel like they must have tried everything, right? And I almost have forgotten over time to ask about diet, big play, sleep, these kinds of things. So I I really started like focusing on that again in my private work. But it'll turn out that this kid's having like massive trouble pooping and they're like, yeah, well, you know, he's a big eater. He just eats chicken nuggets or, you know, whatever, mac and cheese. I'm like, dude, if I ate mac and cheese, I wouldn't shit for like a week. So... So I'm like, okay, is it poop withholding or is it diet? And so can we not buy into the narrative that all kids are going to go through a picky eating phase? I've talked about this before in the picky eating episode, but it's like, just try not to humor that when it, it comes up. It comes up for every kid. Pascal went through it, right? I just, I didn't humor it. And I knew it wasn't a sensitivity. I knew it wasn't a gag reflex. I knew he was neurotypical, right? So of course we make concessions for kids with special needs, but for the most part, these kids don't have special needs. So get that nutrition on point so that your kid's not on a roller coaster of blood sugar, which is just going to make their behavior shitty. It just is. And make sure they're getting, you know, protein and fat forward. Don't worry about the carbs. They're going to fill in the blanks and just make sure that you're not falling behind on their own eating circadian rhythm. Again, most kids are really hungry around three or four o'clock. So what we tend to do is give them a snack 
And then we want them to eat dinner around six or six thirty even. And then they're kind of full on the snack or they're wonky because it was a sort of naked carb. It was a blood sugar spiking thing. And now they don't want to eat because they're too tired and they're all wonky. So it has the like opposite effect. So those are the things we do to take care of the child, right? Once we feel really confident about those things, then we say, okay, this behavior still is existing. Then we also look at like, okay, what are we, the parents doing? How are we contributing to this? How are we handling this? And that is 90% of the work and us staying regulated as we talked about in the last episode. I wanted to bring up two specific questions from patrons because they fall into this category and I want to really dissect them to give you two good examples that I think are pretty common for parents. So the first one is from Sinead and she wrote, as you know, I very much look up to you when I feel I need guidance with my son. Thank you, Sinead. I feel we have a similar way of looking at things and dealing with things. While I was playing with my son last night before bed, I did this weird gremlin song that his dad does, which he loves. We all do it together. Anyway, as I was doing it, I literally saw fear wash over his face. And then he said, mommy, you are the scariest person in my life. I was crushed. He was being open and it wasn't during me laying down a boundary or setting an expectation. And I said, oh my God, I'm so sorry if I ever scare you. Having listened to all your podcasts and feeling so on par with many of your points of views on things, I know straight away that I was being psycho mom, but also relate hard to when you have said about how if your kid makes a mistake, that you feel it deeply, or if your kid does something amazing, it feels like it's a pat on your back. That's me. So how do I change that? I don't want him to walk on eggshells. Psycho mom appears at bedtime most nights as I'm done and have nothing left by that time. Monarch Legacy of Monsters, an Apple original series. The world is on fire. I decided to do something about it. On November 17th. This place, it's not ours. Believe me. The most massive event of the year arrives. If you come with me, you'll know everything, I promise. Oh my God, go, go, go! Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Streaming November 17th, only on Apple TV+. Okay, so we did a little back and forth. And a few of the questions I asked her. So first of all, let's talk really quickly about the little snippet within that question, which is how deeply you feel it if your kid does something amazing and if they make a mistake, it like crushes you. That's over-identifying with our kids. And it's something I think we all do that we just have to be aware of and kind of check ourselves in the moment. I don't think it's a damaging thing. I think it's a damaging thing if it goes unrecognized, where we're like taking on our kids' accomplishments as measurements of our parenting. Like, oh, see, I'm so good. Yes, you know? Obviously, we feel pride when our kids do well and we do feel sad for them when not. But we want to be careful to not use that catastrophic language. Like, I was devastated. I was, you know, oh, he struck out and I was devastated. We don't want to put that pressure on the kids, but we don't want to over-identify with them. One of the things that my assistant Sharon and I are constantly doing on Instagram is correcting people when they say, we're potty training right now and we had a poop before our nap. <laughs> like that's enmeshment. It's not we. Like, yeah, maybe we're potty training. Like I say we're homeschooling, right? Because it's a lifestyle. Like you're doing the work of potty training as well, even though you are not sitting on the potty at that moment. But when we did a poop, we're taking a nap. That's over-identifying with your child. So check your language when that happens because it's like, no, no, no. Like they, 
they did a poop. They're doing this, right? And we just want to be careful. One of the things that happens is we over-identify with our kids and their accomplishments. And it's usually the things that we were weak at. I told this story a long time ago. I went to some sort of reunion, maybe my 25th high school reunion. It was a while ago. And it was wild because I started watching like people, of course, you know, bragging about their kids and their accomplishments and what they were doing. And it was wild because I started to notice, I was like, oh, all the jocks like that I went to high school with were now bragging about their kids' academic accomplishments. All the academic kids in high school are bragging about their kids' sports accomplishments. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting, right? So we tend to really focus on these parts of our kids that we didn't do or we didn't accomplish. And I just think, I think that's natural. The other end of the spectrum of that is the like stage mom who just forces the kid to do what the mom never lived up to. You know what I mean? (laughs) So that's that part of the question. The next part of the question though, of course, is hard, right? When your kid tells you you're the scariest person in your life. And so the first thing I said, you know, hey, was it just related to that song or was it a global kind of thing? And she said, no, it was like a global thing. Like he was a global meaning across their personal orbit, you know? And she said, no, she knows she's psycho mom. So I was like, all right, so let's go through. So let's visit psycho mom. It's one of the first 10 episodes I ever did of this podcast. It's my most downloaded. And so it's a popular concept. So psycho mom often happens in two instances. One, when we are tapped out, right? Because of all the things we talked about in last week's episode, we have no reserves. We're living emotionally paycheck to paycheck. We have no savings. And so we're on empty. And then the next thing that happens with Psycho Mom is when we don't have boundaries. And the boundaries look like you may think you have a boundary, but there's like holes in it, right? So the kid pushes. So you may be like, okay, it's time for bed. Okay, it's time for bed. Okay, it's time for bed. And the kid just doesn't listen. Saying, okay, it's time for bed is not setting a boundary. That is saying the routine, it's time for bed, it's time for bed. The boundary is you have one more chance and then I'm taking that toy and putting it on top of the fridge and then it's time for bed. You know what I mean? There's like a a consequence to the action. If your child's ignoring you, there's what's going to happen in a timely manner that's setting the boundary. So I often find that people think they're setting a boundary. Well, I told them it was time for bed. Like the boundary is the bedtime. No, the boundary is enforcing the bedtime, right? And these words can sound harsh, enforcing the bedtime. The enforcing the bedtime is like forcing your kids to bed, but it is like moving the thing along with a firm, consistent voice. And so psycho mom often comes out when we're not being firm enough in the beginning, we're being soft, we're being soft, we're being soft, we're being soft. The child's not responding. So then we go zero to 60 and we explode. And that's when those catastrophic things come out of our mouths right? So that is when psycho mom shows up. So I like that Sinead had the wherewithal to know like, okay, psycho mom is coming out at night. So then we went through, well, what's happening at night that is making you so tired. And it turns out she works a night shift. So she's actually getting ready when he's going to bed to go to work. And she needs time to sit down and eat her dinner before she goes to work. So I was like, oh, okay. So we just worked on some things about one thing is we went over all those things about like, what can you do during the day? that gives you some reserves. What does that mean? And that might be, you know, some of these kids are giving up their nap. It might mean enforcing a quiet time. So you get a little break. It might mean working out a little bit, going for a walk with your kid. It might be expending that particular like negative energy. It might be spending time with him cooking the meal. Like, hey, mommy's going to have to go to work. Do you want to help cook my dinner for me? And then you have to go to bed because I need to eat my dinner. So that could be connection time in there, right? 
This particular child is, you know, he gets cranky at night and he pushes every one of her buttons. He pushes up against her and everything. So I said, okay, what if you made bedtime a little bit earlier and you were allowed for some of the pushing? Okay, we can have one more boundary, you know, one more story or one more thing like that. But if you allow for it, you're allowing for it. But mostly I think what it results in is the key components is she's too tired. We can't expect the child to take care of that. And we can't expect the child to change because of that. So that's what I'm seeing a lot. And, and this is no judgment on this mama. I'm seeing this unconscious expectation that I'm tapped out so they need to behave. But do you see what I'm saying? That's not the child's responsibility. Why are we tapped out? And of course, oh my God, you guys, I could go on and on and on about the societal bullshit, right? Like, why do moms have so much work? Why don't we have help? Why don't we have our villages? Why don't we have daycare? Why don't we have better maternity leave? All these things. But the system sucks. And so we have to operate within that system for right now. While we can try to make those big changes, we have to just be, again, brutal about ourselves. So what does that look like? Maybe that is a transition with an episode of Bluey or something like that, where everybody gets a little rest, but you can still be connected to your child. I think too, that sometimes these kids with bedtime in particular, they can start to do that negative feedback loop. Our kids just want to be with us. They want to be with us. They want to be connected with us almost most of the time, right? So then what happens, this kid in pushing her buttons, he's getting connection. It's just negative, right? So a kid who's constantly resisting you, like let's say bedtime should take a half hour. And with all this resisting and pushing and making you angry, they now get 45 minutes of your time. They do not care if it's negative. They got 45 minutes. They're like time hungry for your focus. If your focus is negative, kids don't care. We have study after study in psychology proving this. They don't care if it's negative. They just want the focus and attention. That's what's important. Just as little human beings. Yeah. So that could be an issue too, that there's not enough because the mom is tapped out. There's not enough good connection time before bed. So those are all some things to play around with. Yeah. I think the biggest thing though that we had worked with is we just have to be really cautious It's this insidious thread, right? That when we're expecting the child to know our grown-up needs have to be met. And so therefore they should be in line. I see that a lot in some clients I'm working with, which is like, I explained to my three-year-old that I need to go on a run. It's going to make me a better parent. Yes, but that's also not your child's responsibility to stay with the babysitter without crying and be like, yes, mommy, I understand. Please go on a run. No, the child might have a reaction. You still go on your run. You know, I'm sure the child will be fine with the babysitter or with your spouse or whatever, but we can't expect the child to not have a meltdown because they understand that you need to leave to go on a run. You see what I'm saying? And it keeps happening over and over in these little subtle ways. So the bigger question is, how can you not be tapped out? And if you didn't listen to last week's episode, I suggest you do because I gave a lot of ideas about that. The next question comes into play. So this mama, her child goes to kindergarten now and He's six and comes home super grumpy, super, super grumpy. And in fact, that is grumpy. Like literally she recorded him and he was just, it was like excessive whining, excessive, that kind of, but she had a question. This kid was clearly asking for snuggles and he was saying it in his grumpy voice. And he was like, I want snuggles. She's a very boundary mom, really good at it. And she said, I don't like the tone you're using. You need to ask in a nice tone. And she even said, God, you know, I think this is part of the hard part about parenting is like knowing we would have gotten our asses kicked, right? Like 
my mother would have beat my ass if I asked like that. And I was like, I know, I know, but let's not do that. Okay. (laughs) And of course she's like, yeah, no, no. But her big question was like, do I press the lesson of using a nice voice? He's asking for what he needs. Right. And I said, yes, of course. If he's asking for what he needs in a very clear way, I need snuggles, but he's saying it in the most God awful Gollum voice. It's okay. And what I said to her, and we kind of talked it out is that, you know, six years old, it's so easy to think they're grown and they're not. They still don't have a lot of skills, especially start with kindergarten. And we're still like, you know, this is the first week of October when this is, I'm recording still in September. So I don't, this will be released in two weeks probably, but I think. It's still new. It's still a big, scary thing, a new school and the big classrooms and what the expectations. And they don't have a lot of skills. If a child can articulate what they need, like if you have a kid who needs to throw and is like, I need to throw something, don't make them ask that in a nice voice. They're expressing their need along with all the vomiting emotion. So honor the need. It's like a baby crying. We wouldn't judge a baby crying who needs us, right? We would say, okay. Yeah, I got you. So do that with your littles. Now, when I was talking to her, I said, you know, okay, now what is really paramount is will he accept touch? Because a lot of times kids go into this escalated place of, I want to be held. I want you. You take a step towards them and they scream, get away from me. Pascal went through, I don't know, like three or four months of that. And it's crazy making because they're there having a meltdown and they're like, I need you so much, mommy. And then you're like, okay, here I come. And they're like, ah, get away from me. It's the most confusing thing ever. In that case, you sit down. Granted, if you have the time, you sit down, you let them have their thing. Don't try to convince them and just sit there and just be there. I would not make eye contact. I learned this in social work with kids. Do not make eye contact in an escalation. It is it's a feeling of aggression to the kid. I don't know why, but they'll go psycho on you. So don't make eye contact, but you can just sit there and be very, very loving, have a loving, stable presence. You know, what do we call holding space? Extreme presence within action. Yeah. So you are there. You're very, very present for your child, but you are not doing anything. And then you just kind of have to wait for that meltdown, that tantrum to arc and come down. And then usually they will collapse in your arms. So that's the other thing is if the child is like, screaming for a need, but then won't let you touch them. That's how you would handle that. And then, you know, always, 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 it comes back to when they are decompressed, when they are not in a hot moment, usually right before bed is like, Hey, that, you know, and you were like asking for snuggles. Like, how could we have handled that better? Cause I'll, I'll always give you snuggles. Like you don't have to yell, you know, that's when we can infuse some of these lessons, right? The other thing is this mama was a little concerned about it, but I'm hearing it a lot from parents, which is they're really working on being present for these big emotions. They're really doing the responsive parenting thing, which I love. But then they'll say, you know, but he was still like a grumpy little twit, you know, or, you know, she was still like, you know, really moping around the house. And one of the things we want to allow our kids is their emotions, right? So a kid can be grumpy. A kid can be mopey. They can't be rude to you all day, you know? So if they're being really grumpy and they need space, what would the communication be, right? Behavior is communication. What would the communication be? Maybe they need time. Maybe they need time in their room with their toys where they can just be quiet, not have questions, not have to help and just decompress. You know, that could be a very loving separation of go to your room, right? 
without a punishment, not you're grumpy, go to your room. I don't like what you're doing. That's not cool. But hey, you seem like you need a little space. It seems like maybe it was a rough day for you. Why don't you go play with your toys while I make dinner and let me know when you're ready for a hug, that kind of thing, right? They do get to have their emotions. We are just feeling it. We're just over-identified with our kids. So when our kids are sad, we're like, oh my God, she's so sad. I should be doing something, right? No, let her be sad. That's okay. Yeah, as long as she's not stomping around the house, right? And I don't know, I have a famous story of the house we lived in when I was like in third grade. Had one of those like kitchen connects to the dining room, connects to the kitchen, to the living room. You know, it was like circular and then the bedrooms were down a hall. And like when I had to get a tissue because I was crying, the bathroom was down the hall. So the bathroom was like across from my room, but I would go in my hysterics and like make the whole circle round. So I'd go way out of my way. So like, everybody could see me crying. (laughs) Me? Dramatic? No. So, you know, and my mom would be like, oh my God. And even back then, even in like more abusive parenting, my mom would be like, oh, you poor thing. Why don't you take that tissue and go to your room? (laughs) So (laughs) we can allow our kids their emotions without fixing them, but also recognize of like, hey, they're communicating. And a lot of times they want you to see that. And so you might notice it as like, yeah, I can tell you're really sad about that. I can tell you're really grumpy. I think also, though, when a kid comes back into the fold, maybe they've settled, they're playing in the room, they're all settled, they come back into the fold, we don't lay them with lessons right then, right? We don't say, you know, oh, I'm so glad you're grumpy. But what we do want to do is start parsing out. I'm hearing a lot about grumpiness after school. I'm often wondering if something's going on with the kids not feeling confident, what's happening. So I do some soft digging in non-hot moments just to see, because I think sometimes a kid can feel like shit. And then it makes them grumpy. I know when I feel incompetent and when I feel, you know, when I have a day where maybe my self-esteem is a little low for no other reason than it is, I will feel grumpy. So, you know, maybe that's some, an area too, to do some soft digging when the child's not escalated, of course. So I hope those examples were helpful. And again, I think the key takeaway is number one, our kids can have emotions. We're not responsible for all of them, but mm, parenting is on the parents. It's not called childing. It's called parenting, right? This trend has made me even aware of my own parenting is like, look for areas where you're expecting the child to do the right thing to meet your need. Yeah. Because I think it's a real tricky, insidious thing that's happening across the board. So we don't want to put that responsibility on the child. I think we also just really need to pay attention to ourselves. And again, I know this is hard in these early years and it can be hard. That's why I called it brutal self-care in the last episode, right? But we have to look for how can we not be drained? How can we have even just a little reserves in our tank? Yeah. As always, I appreciate you guys. Thanks to my patrons for these awesome questions that we can unpack on the podcast. And have a wonderful day and rock on. Okay, bye everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. (laughs) You can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.